Can everybody hear me out there? Y'all can hear me? All right, this time, uh, Miss Gala, we're going to dismiss the kids for Children's Church, so you can get up, and uh, we should probably have a song, a dismiss for Children's Church song, you know, eventually, so, but... There you go, there you go, everybody say, I saw the light, hallelujah, so, well, we're honored this morning to have uh, Brother Chuck Loman with us this morning, he's our associate um, director of missions, and he's going to be bringing the word to us, and Brother Chuck, uh, the last uh, six weeks without Pastor Preston, the shepherd's rest has been a huge blessing to our church, and um, so you're, you're our caboose, you're, you're, you're our last speaker, uh, preacher this morning, and uh, and we're just very thankful. Uh, it's been a blessing to the church. And so um, thank you for uh, being here this morning, you and your lovely wife. So at this time, would y'all welcome uh, our pastor preacher this morning, Brother Chuck Loman. Thanks, Steve. I do thank you for allowing me to uh, stand before you this morning as I was thinking about it. Let's see, this is the, this is the last Sunday before school starts in EBR. This is the last Sunday before Preston comes back to preach again. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan, and usually the guy who hits last is the weakest hitter of the bunch. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm just really a little anxious about being here this morning. But thank you again for the privilege. It is indeed an awesome honor to stand in this pulpit. Preston is a good friend of mine. Uh, I was the executive pastor at Woodland Baptist Church for about eight years, and... Uh, about a year and a half ago, followed Brother Tommy up to the association. Um, just in case my uh, dashing good looks and rape your wit do not give it away, <clears throat> I was in my first career a helicopter pilot. I flew uh, helicopters for the Army for about 24 years, and so this is a relatively new experience for me. I say relatively new. I retired from the Army in 92, so it's only 23 years that I've been doing this, so you would think <clears throat> I would be getting better at it by now. But uh, I am uh, I'm here today to uh, open God's Word, but I would be remiss if I didn't introduce the best part of my life, and that is my wife, Cindy, of 43 years. She, uh, she's able to accompany me uh, just about everywhere I go, so it is an honor to have her with me as well. I'll tell you, I have been, uh, I've been working through the book of Luke in my personal study time. And uh, as I share with just about every congregation that I speak at, you know, there are different ways you could approach this process. Um, one is I could have three or four sermons that I just really love, and then I've never preached at the same church. Uh, well, I have a couple times, but very seldom do I preach at the same church again. So I could just use those same four or five sermons. But I told you my wife accompanies me at most every place. She'd get bored in a hurry. And, uh, and it really wouldn't do much for me and my study. And so I've found it, it's just better for me if I continue to, to study God's Word in, in view of preaching it. And, uh, and I have been going through the book of Luke. And so uh, in order to be caught up, you had to have been with me in four different churches uh, in the last four weeks to be able to be where we are. But needless to say, I am in, uh, I'm in Luke chapter 6. So if you, have, uh, if you have your Bible with you, of course, this is a good Southern Baptist church, so you, everybody has their Bible with them. If you would find Luke chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading with the 20th verse. And again, it is, uh, it is my tradition to ask all to stand in honor of reading God's Word. 
This is God's holy word, and I think uh, tradition demands that we, that we stand. In Luke chapter 6, I'm starting with the 20th verse. It should be up there in the same translation that I'm reading. It says, In turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that it would find its way into our hearts today. Let your word be all that we hear. And may our lives be changed because of it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you have to to recognize these, but to be honest with you, most of us are more familiar with the other Beatitudes found in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew calls his <coughs> discussion of the Beatitudes Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke here <coughs> says that he, is, he has found a level place to stand in the plain. Uh, some commentators believe that this is uh, two different occasions, that Jesus here is speaking on a flat place, probably near the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus was on a mountain or a hillside, probably also in the Sea of Galilee, but two different occasions. But I think most people believe that these are both the same addresses, both the same messages. Some people say that that obviously is a contradiction then. Why could Matthew and Luke not agree on exactly what was said? Matthew goes into much greater detail in his discussion of the Beatitudes. In fact, he lists eight. <clears throat> Luke only lists four. The, uh, the, orders, the order of the Beatitudes are different. The, uh, <clears throat> the amount of words spent in, in each of these uh, accounts vary tremendously. In fact, Matthew uses over 70 verses, Luke only about 39 in his Sermon on the Mount or Sermon at the Level Place. Some people could take this as an opportunity to say, well, the Bible contradicts itself, that the Bible is not accurate. But see, I see it just the opposite. I see it as as a verification. I was uh, privileged to lead a tour to Jerusalem a couple years ago, and uh, we were at the Wailing Wall, just uh, in the city of Jerusalem. And as I was returning from being at the wall, there was a young rabbinic, a rabbinic student who stopped me. <clears throat> he said, you're American. I said, yes, I am. He said, and you're Christian, obviously. I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I'm from Wisconsin, but I'm here studying the, uh, the Torah. And he said, I don't understand how you can believe all of the Bible. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, let me ask you, what were uh, Jesus' last words? 
I said, frankly, it, it really depends on uh, which gospel writer you read. Um, <clears throat> each has a different. He said, exactly, exactly. You would think something as important as the last words of the Savior of the world would be important enough for everybody to get right. And I said, well, not necessarily. I said, if you think about it, really, John was the only gospel writer who was present at the time. He was the only one who was there. And so I would say that he probably had the most accurate last words of Christ. But the others wrote down what they were told or what they remembered. And um, it's interesting what we remember. I said, take, for example, our situation. You are a Jewish rabbinical student looking at the Wailing Wall. I am an American Christian looking at the Wailing Wall. I can look and see all sorts of different things. And you can look at exactly the same time and see something completely different because of your background and because of your understanding of what was going on at the Wailing Wall. Matthew was a Jew. Luke was a Gentile. It's not unlikely that uh, they saw things differently. Some people also say that <clears throat> Matthew's account is more of, a, more of an exposition of what Jesus said, while Luke's is a more word-for-word -word account. It's sort of like the different translations of the Bible. You know, the, the New American Standard and the New King James are more a literal word-for-word -word translation, while some of these others give you sort of the, the feel or the intent of the message. And so I don't, I don't see any contradiction here at all. I don't see any kind of uh, reason for concern about the, the Bible contradicting itself. In fact, I would be more concerned if everything was word-for-word word identical. And that would imply collusion to me rather than an actual experience. So let's get through that. But then, then let's consider the, the context of where we are right now. Jesus is about halfway through his earthly ministry. He has already done some pretty tremendous miracles in, in, the, uh, in the region of Galilee. He has uh, been healing people. He has been uh, performing miracles, casting out demons. I find it interesting, and this was last week's sermon, that, that in the 18-month mark of his ministry, he finally calls his 12 apostles the 12 disciples who would be closest to him. And it's in this context. Jesus has just come down from a night of long praying for his disciples. He's chosen the 12 who would be the closest to him. And now he goes out to be with the people. In verses 17 and following, it says, Jesus came down with them. That's the, that's the 12 apostles that he'd chosen and stood on a level place. There was a large crowd of his disciples there. That's also very interesting. When people ask you how many disciples did Jesus have, you could say, I have no idea. There were probably thousands of disciples that Jesus had. That's why I don't have a problem calling myself a disciple of Jesus Christ because a disciple is simply one who learns. And that's what we're called to do is learn from Jesus Christ. But he said all of his disciples were with him. And a great throng of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them. It's interesting to note the context. 
Because you see, when Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Level Place, or the Plain, he's, he's not really talking to all of these other people, all of those who had come to be healed and to be cured and to be rid of the demons and things. Look at what it says. And it says in verse 20, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, So you see, I think the very first thing that we need to understand is there's a large crowd around Jesus. He's done his his, uh, healing and curing ministry, but now he's ready to teach, and he turns his gaze toward his disciples. So this message is primarily for those who are learning at the feet of Jesus, for those who are interested in what Jesus has to say. This is not a message for the world. This is a message for us who are called believers. And that's what we see here. And so he begins with blessed. Blessed. Some translations say happy. <clears throat> I don't like the word happy there because it is, it is an indication of a feeling. It is an indication normally of joy. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Blessed now is more referring to a status or a position. He said, you are blessed. You are blessed. It's not that you're happy and overjoyed. Because when we see the list of things, we, uh, we find that it's really a dichotomy. Because how can you be, for example, in the first one, blessed when you are poor? How can you be happy and be poor? Well, listen, I've known a lot of happy poor people. I, I had a friend who, uh, when I was stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, he drove the garbage truck on post. And all he did was drive around and pick up the trash. And he and I went to church together. And he didn't have a lot. But he was one of the happiest guys I ever met. He was happy. But again, that was a feeling. Jesus is talking here about a position. He says, listen, I want you to understand one thing. He says, I want you to understand that you are blessed when you are poor. Now, when he says poor, he's not talking about an economic status either. He's not talking about uh, you're blessed if you give all your money away and just live in rags and in a hovel. He's not saying that. Matthew adds to it. He said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the word poor literally means to to cower or cringe in fear. And the idea, if you are poor in spirit, literally means to me, uh, that, that you, have, you have no standing before God. You have nothing that you can offer of yourself to God. You have no position by yourself because of the things that you have done, because you were poor in spirit. Because you understand that the best that you offer is like filthy rags to God. So he said, blessed are you who are poor, who recognize your spiritual emptiness and understand that there is nothing that you can present to God. just as I am without one plea. 
You see, Jesus says, for yours is the kingdom of God. When you recognize your spiritual emptiness and the need for Jesus to fill it up, he said, yours is the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say yours will be the kingdom of God. He says, yours is the kingdom of God. In other words, you can enjoy the kingdom of God even now in this very place at this very time if you recognize your emptiness before God. We'll talk about those who don't when we get to the curses. But let's go to the second one. He said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And again, we turn to Matthew to find out a little bit more about what he's talking about there. Matthew says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, I think this comes, this comes in, in a in a step-by-step process. First, we have to recognize how empty we are spiritually in the presence of God. And secondly, we have to to hunger for God's righteousness, for God's right standing in our lives. If, If we don't come to that first place, we will never get to the second, where we need to long for God to live in us and to declare us righteous. He said, blessed are you who hunger for that. Uh, we have some great psalms. If you got, put your finger there and, and turn back over to the psalms. Look at Psalm 42. I love the beginning of that. You know this psalm. We sing it many times. David writes this and says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You see, this is the idea that, that David had. It's like you're dying of thirst and you're longing for that water. That's the feeling that you have for longing for for God and his righteousness. Flip over for a few to to Psalm 63, another Psalm of David. He says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He says, this is, this is what it means. We've got to come to that point when we recognize our emptiness, our spiritual poverty, and recognize that only Jesus could fill it up, and then, and then long for his righteousness, long to allow him to come in and to declare us righteous in his sight and to fill us with his presence. And look what he says. He says, blessed are you who hunger, for you shall be satisfied. That other most famous psalm of David, remember that? The 23rd psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. He said, listen, if you're going to be my disciples, if you are going to follow me first, you have to recognize that you bring nothing on your own. You are spiritually poor. You have to allow me to fill you up. You have to long You have to hunger for my righteousness, and I will satisfy you. Then he said, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
There's no addition that you can make to this. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I see the disciples, I see myself. When I consider who I am in the very presence of God, I have nothing to brag about. In fact, it should bring me to tears. To be in the very presence of God and to see myself in his presence. We should weep. But he said, blessed are you if you do that because you shall laugh. You know, when we begin to take seriously the sin in our life, and recognize what it is, we should weep. And then finally, Luke goes on. This is when you recognize your spiritual poverty. When you long for the righteousness of God and you see your sin for what it is. Then he said, people are going to treat you differently. But he said, expect that. He said, blessed are you. When men hate you, when they ostracize you, insult you, and scorn your name for the sake of the Son of Man. He says, listen, my disciples, you have to understand that I'm not calling you to an easy life. I'm not calling you to a life of popularity. And, uh, and great praise. In fact, I'm calling you to just the opposite. Because in the world in which we find ourselves, and we're seeing it more and more today than ever before, to claim the name of Christian is to be scorned. To claim the name of Christian is to be left out of all of the other events that are going on. To claim the name of Christian is to be called someone who is ignorant and and uh, wishful in their thinking, <clears throat> but certainly not enlightened. To claim the name of Christian means you're backward. If you don't believe that, just walk with me sometime on the LSU campus and share the gospel with some of these students. I particularly love the science major. Oh, my goodness. But Jesus said, blessed are you when these things are said about you and hurled against you for my sake. He said, be glad in that day, in verse 23, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
for in the same way your fathers used to treat the prophets. He said, listen, you have to understand how good this is. You were being treated just like the prophets were treated. I don't know about you, but I've never considered myself to be equal to a prophet. But he said, look at what you have. But Jesus couples the blessings with the curses. In verse 24, he begins the four. He says, but woe to you who are well fed now. For you shall be hungry. This is just the, just the opposite of the first four. Now he's showing what the opposites are of those. He said, for those of you who are satisfied in your position, you think you've, you've done it all, you've got it all together, you have done everything, now God should just welcome you in with open arms because of who you are and the things that you've done. He said, you will be hungry. I can't count the number of people that I ask. You know, if if God were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell them? He'd say, well, because I'm not a bad person. I'm not as bad as some people, and I've done a lot of good things in my life. I try to do everything that God tells me to do. I want to ask him, how is that working? But, you see, that's who he's talking about here. Those people who think, well, listen, I don't have to worry about that. I've got it all together. I live in a Christian nation. I don't have to worry about God's judgment. Jesus said, you, woe to you, for you will be hungry. Secondly, he says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you who laugh. There are a lot of people who think everything is just the way it should be. They don't need to worry about God. They laugh in the face of God. And he says, listen, they don't don't hunger and thirst after God. They laugh in his face. He said, you shall mourn. And weak and weep. I'm sorry, I'm, I've gotten these out of, out of order. That's a problem when you don't use notes. But finally, he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Notice this slight variation. Up above, he says, your fathers used to treat the prophets in the same way when he was talking about the blessing. But here he says, woe to you when men speak well of you because your fathers treated the false prophets in the same way. He said, listen, if you were looking for the praise of men, you've received it. If you're looking for being satisfied, you're going to be hungry. If you're looking for the praise of men, just remember that's how he treated the false prophets. They praised them. Why is this, why is this passage important to us? We well, see, 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And I believe that we have, hopefully, the majority of the people in our churches fall in the first category. The category of the blessed. In that position of receiving God's strength and his comfort and his provision. But I think there are way too many in our churches and even in our pulpits today who fall into that last category who feel that they've got everything that they need, who feel it is all together, and they don't have to be concerned about what God is going to be doing. We see them all the time on television. They're spoken well of. They're interviewed on, on, the, uh, on the news shows. They want to get their opinion of all of these things. These are people from our churches. And I believe that they're speaking to us today. And I want to find out where you are. Are you in the column that says blessed? You are in the position right now to receive the blessing of God because you recognize your spiritual poverty. You recognize that, listen, there is nothing I can do to earn salvation. It is only by the gracious gift of God that I can ever hope to stand in His presence. I long for, I hunger for His righteousness. Oh, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've failed so miserably. But I long to do what is right. I weep when I consider the sin in my life. But I truly, truly want his forgiveness. And you know, I'm going to live this way, and I don't care what people say about me, what they do to me, the things that they exclude me from, It doesn't matter to me. You see, but I believe that we live in a society today where people are more concerned about being well thought of. They're more concerned about their physical well-being than they are about their spiritual. They're more concerned about being fed and satisfied with the things of this life. If you question that, then look around and see We have enough people in this neighborhood to fill this place three times on a Sunday morning. And yet people don't think that it's important to find the time to be in God's Word. They would rather be doing something else. They don't think it's important to spend time worshiping the one who gives them everlasting life. They would rather be somewhere else. I marvel as I drive to church every Sunday and see the people who are out religiously walking up and down the street in their jogging clothes or their walking outfit. Those who are mowing their grass, taking care of their yard. I'm wondering why, why do they not see? How do they miss the most important thing in life? Oh, and I'm not saying church attendance is key, that it's got to take priority over everything in your life. I know things happen. But listen, it should be our desire. It should be the number one thing in our life to seek God, to recognize our spiritual poverty, to long for his righteousness. So the question I leave you with, Are you satisfied? Are you well fed? 
the people speak well of you. If they are, be careful. Be careful. I pray that you're here today, longing for God's word, hungering for his righteousness, weeping over your sin, no matter what the world may say. But God is uh, bringing some things to your mind right now, I would imagine. Maybe in your heart there's been a scorecard that, uh, that you've been checking off. It says, I wonder how I'm doing with that. Maybe God has revealed some things in your life right now where you have not measured up. And maybe you need to get that right with him right now. We're going to have a time of invitation, and this invitation is for you to respond. It's not, it's not a time just to play one more song or to sing one more chorus. It is a time for God to deal with you. It is a time to let him show you what he needs to show you. Maybe it's a time for you to spend some time on your knees. Recognizing again your need for him. However God has spoken to you today, I pray that he has. I pray that you would not ignore him. I pray that you would allow him into your heart now. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted him. There's an emptiness there, but you have no idea how to fill it. Brother Steve will be down here and he will be glad to talk to you and show you how to do that. Maybe you're here today and you've recognized that you need, you need to be more a part of what's going on in God's world and in his church. And maybe you've decided this is the day that you come and unite with this church. Again, Steve will be here for that. But I'm going to have a word of prayer <clears throat> as the musicians come to lead us. And I would just ask that you allow God to work in your heart and then you respond as he directs you. Would you bow with me? Father, as we pray, Father, I just think in my life how I've been so concerned about my physical well-being, the things that I have, the food that I eat, and Father, I forget so often how hungry I am for you. Lord, I just pray that you would renew in me a hunger, a hunger for your word and for your righteousness. Remind me again of how spiritually empty I am and how my sins bring me to my knees. But Father, I pray for everyone here who hears these words. I pray that you're at work in their hearts. I pray for this church. I pray that it would be alive. There would be a strong, shining light in this world. But right now, Father, have your way with us. 
during this time of invitation. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.